A reading from the book of Genesis, the fall of man. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and to take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man, You are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat of it, you will surely die. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, We may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say, You must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it, or you will die. You will not surely die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows when you eat of it your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye, and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized that they were naked. So they sewed fit weeks together and made coverings for themselves. This is the word of the Lord. The Gospel reading is from Matthew 4, verses 1 to 11. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting for forty days and forty nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered him, it is also written, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, Away from me, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him and angels came and attended him. This is the gospel of the Lord. Well, when we listen to those readings we've just heard, we, a question might occur to us, and that is, how often do we let the devil get the better of us? How often do we let the devil get the better of us? Because we all have ways, don't we, in which we kind of, we know there are parts of our lives that we would just like to, to get right but we keep kind of tripping up. You know, we'd, we'd like to stop that overeating problem, but we just, we just get tempted. Or we don't want to 
say an unkind word to someone, but, this, but that someone really bugs us and we can't help it. We'd find ourselves being tripped up. There are so many different ways in which we think, yeah, I'd love to be the person God really called me to be, but we find ourselves being undermined time and time again. How do we let the devil get the better of us? Because the Bible says that the reason that our lives get messed up and that we trip up and we get undermined and we don't do the good things or sort our lives out in a good way that we'd like to is because there is a spiritual force of evil in the world. The Bible calls the devil. And this force of evil is constantly trying to trip us up and undermine us. And that's why we fall down. And in our readings this morning, the good news is that they can be quite helpful because in the first reading, we see the devil winning a battle over the first human beings, Adam and Eve. And in the second reading, we see Jesus winning a battle over the devil. And so if we could understand what the devil's tactics are and see how he won in the Genesis passage, and we can see how Jesus won a victory in the Gospel reading, then we can apply it to our lives and we can start winning victories in some of those areas of our lives that catch us out. And I'm going to do this in in three ways. I'm going to think about the devil in three ways. The first thing is that the devil is real and his spirit There are many people who scoff at the idea that there is a devil. And the reason for that, I think, most of the time, is because we're thinking of the wrong person. We're thinking of a cartoon character like that, or a Hollywood monster like that. And quite frankly, I wouldn't believe in a devil like either of those pictures or any of the other ways in which Hollywood portrays the devil. But the Bible tells us the devil is not flesh and blood, that he's spirit. In fact, Paul writing to the church in Ephesus says this. In his famous passage about the armour of God, he says, in Ephesus chapter 6 and verse 12, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. The devil has one attribute that is like God in that he is spirit. God in the world today is spirit. And so is the devil. And so that's the first thing, is that he is real. Now, C.S. Lewis said this. He said, there are two equal and opposite mistakes which we can make about the devil. One is to disbelieve in his existence, and the other is to feel an unhealthy and excessive interest in him. The devil himself is equally pleased by both errors. Because if we disbelieve, then we underestimate him and we leave ourselves weak. But if we obsess about the devil and the dark side, we can get caught up in the occult. I know of a person who, at the age of 25, he was, he was on holiday, I think, with his um, with his wife and a possibly young family. I can't remember whether he had children with him then. But he was at a seaside town and he saw somebody who was offering to do fortune telling. And he thought that won't do me any harm. So 
that'll be a bit of fun, paid them £20, and they, did some, they read his palm. And after five minutes, they were doing so well that he said, he said, oh, he said, tell me, how long am I going to live? When, when am I going to die? And the fortune teller said, no, I'm, I'm not going to go there. And he insisted. He said, no, no, he said, I really do want to know. And the fortune teller said, well, if you insist, you're going to die when you're 40. And he just, he poo-pooed it, got up, walked away, thought nothing more of it for the moment. Days went by, weeks went by, months went by, years went by. And as he approached 30, he began to suffer from anxiety attacks. And he couldn't get this thing out of his mind that he'd been told that he would die at 40. By the time he was in his mid-30s, he was regularly having time off work, um, sick with depression, with with all sorts of ailments. Um, And as he approached 38, 39, he ended up signed off work completely because he could not deal with the fact that this had been spoken over him. And he, he finally recovered, made a full recovery, after his 41st birthday, because then he knew it was a lie. He knew it was a deception. And so we, don't, we definitely don't want to meddle with the dark side. The other reasons we should believe in, in that there is a devil is that it, it makes common sense. A lot of people say, well, actually, I can almost more easily believe in a devil than I can in God. I mean, look at all the evil in the world. How does a child grow up to become a dictator who tortures and kills thousands of people? How do whole nations turn into genocidal armies wiping out other nations? How do 15 men get together and gang rape a 15-year-old girl? The fact of the matter is, any worldview that doesn't take into account the presence of evil in the world has got an awful lot of explaining to do. That's another reason. Finally, it's scriptural. Jesus met with the devil in the wilderness. So the devil is real. He's a spiritual force of evil. And he is the cause of undermining our good intentions in life and messing up our lives so often. That's, that's the reason. How do we deal with him? Well, we deal with him by understanding what he's up to. And we, we learn that from the Genesis passage. And the devil has two main tactics. And the first one is deception. That's the lie, like the 25-year-old who was told he would die at 40. And then accusation, condemnation. Those are, those are the two. Let's have a look at this in, in the Genesis passage. So, chapter 2, verse 15. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and took care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat of it, you will surely die. So God has laid out the scheme. He's given them wide-ranging permission to eat from any tree in the whole of the Garden of Eden. There's only one thing they're allowed to do. There's one tree that if they eat from it, it'll cause them harm. And, and in fact, they will die. But look what happens. Chapter 3, verse 1. Here comes the deceit. The, the devil who's in the form of the serpent, the snake in, in this case, comes up to the woman, Eve, and says, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? Well, we know the answer to that. The answer is no, God didn't say that. But do you see how he tries to sow doubt and uncertainty? Did God really say? But the woman defends God initially, and she says, well, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, 
But God did say, you must not eat fruit from the tree that's in the middle of the garden, and you mustn't touch it or you will die. Here comes the second deceit. You won't die, says the devil. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. It'll be wonderful. It won't do you any harm. It'll be fantastic. That's the second deception. And so what happens? She eats the apple. She gives some to Adam. He eats the apple. And then a few verses later, verse 7, then the eyes of both of them were opened and they realised that they were naked. In other words, they realised that they'd been had, they'd been got. They'd lost their innocence. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves because they were in shame. They knew they'd been beaten and they were in shame. And, and this is how the devil works. It's deception followed by accusation. And if we th- apply that to just normal everyday stuff, we're in Lent. So some of you, quite a few of you maybe, have given things up for Lent or decided to lose a bit of weight or do something different like that. So imagine you've given up chocolate. You're one week into your Lent fast and you go around to a friend's for a cup of tea and the friend puts a plate of biscuits on the table and at first you're not bothered because you can see they're plain they're, not, they're white, they're not chocolate and so you kind of breathe a sigh of relief and think, oh I can have one of those and then you reach over to grab one and then you suddenly notice there are some little flecks of chocolate in it some little chips of chocolate in the plain biscuit and the alarm bell goes off and you go, oh, oh that's chocolate I better not have any of that and then this is how the devil works the devil comes in one side and says Hang on a minute, you, you gave up buying bars of chocolate. That's not, that's not like a bar of chocolate. That's perfectly okay. It's just a plain biscuit. It's got the odd little flake, but, you know, it's, that's not what you gave up. You can go ahead, that's okay. It won't do you any harm. You can have that. You'll still carry on with your fast. So what do you do? You fall for it. You pick up the biscuit. You take two mouthfuls of it. You taste the chocolate. And all of a sudden, you know that you're beaten. You've been had. And quick as a flash, the devil runs, gets around the other side of the other ear and says... Look at you, you're absolutely disgusting, you're useless, you can't last a week, you've just had chocolate, you've blown it, you might as well go and buy those three bars of chocolate and eat them. That's how he works, isn't it? We all know that, that's, that's what happens. But, but the same happens with more serious things as well. It's, statistics say that something like, I know a huge percentage of men in this country look at internet pornography, and many of them, a large percentage, are addicted to it. Can't stop it. And it works the same way. Imagine a man who's, who's been struggling with that and he's decided he's really going to stop it. I'm going to improve my life. I'm not going to look at any more of those pictures. And so he's at work, just doing his normal work uh, on the computer. And, and all of a sudden, up pops a little window. You, you know how it happens. If you use a computer, you know what I'm talking about. A little window pops up. And there's a picture of a very beautiful young woman wearing a bikini, maybe lying on a beach. And all of a sudden, the alarm bell goes off. There's maybe a little bit of writing at the bottom that says, click here for, to see more. But anyway, you're, you're looking at that, and, and, and the alarm bell goes off a little bit. But then here comes the devil. The devil says, what are you worried about? If you go to Brighton or you go to Cornwall, you'll see girls in bikinis on the beach. That's not pornography. That's okay. You can look at that. That's all right. Won't do you any harm. Go on, click. And you fall for it. You click. And the next thing is you get taken to another page, only this time... The girls aren't wearing bikinis. And you know, your heart sinks, and you know you've lost it again. And the devil runs around to the other end, and he says, look at you, you are horrible, you are hopeless, you are disgusting. You've blown it. You might as well go and look at the hardcore stuff now. I mean, you've you've blown your your Lent program. 
That's how he works. Deception and then accusation. So how are we to defend against this? Because you may not have a problem with chocolate or you may not have a problem with internet pornography, but we all know ways in which we trip up. Whether it's unkind words to other people or whether it's a relationship that we should... We know, we've spent years knowing we should mend it, we should, we should get it back together again, but you just haven't got around to doing it. You've been undermined. How are we to do it? Well, we must look at Jesus in the wilderness when he is tempted by the devil to begin to get a clue. And so, if we turn to Matthew, Jesus is in the wilderness. There's a reason that Jesus is in the wilderness. He's there, he's there to prepare himself, to build up his spiritual power in order that when he comes out of the desert, he will be able to minister and perform miracles and preach the gospel and finally go to the cross. That's, that's the purpose of being in the wilderness. But the devil, that's the last thing the devil wants. And so the devil tries to short-circuit it. And he comes in. Jesus has obviously been fasting for, for a long time in the desert as part of his spiritual building up. And he must have been starving. He must have been so hungry. And the devil says... Verse 3, the tempter came to him and said, if you are the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. He says, come on, if you're the son of God, you can, you can take a shortcut. Just turn those stones into bread. Won't do you any harm. You know, you'll feel, you'll, you'll feel much better afterwards. But Jesus spots the deception. He can see the deception straight away because it's not God's will for him. And so he says, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Jesus says, I'm going to believe God. I'm not going to believe the devil. And so he rejects it. And then the devil tries again. He takes him to a high place on the temple and says, if you're the son of God, throw yourself off because angels will come and swoop down and, and, and gather you up just before you hit the ground and it'll be wonderful and all the crowds will go, whoa, isn't he fantastic? But Jesus didn't come to wow crowds with circus acrobatics. He came to preach the good news and to go to the cross And he's not going to be short-circuited. He spots the deception. And so he says, it's written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. In other words, I'm not going to experiment with that kind of thing. I'm going to stick to what God says. Again, the third time, and actually this third time, I think it's the worst attempt at deception of all of them. Uh, As if Jesus isn't going to see through this one. He says, he takes it up to a high mountain and says, look at the world, everything around you. I'll give you all of this if you bow down and worship me. Well, guess who created the world? God did. Jesus. In God. It's his anyway. There's, there's a big deception. And finally, the last person Jesus is going to do is to bow down to the devil. And so he says, away from me, Satan. He rebukes the devil, for it's written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. And when he did that, the devil left him. The devil had nothing left to throw at him. Because the point is, the really good news is, that actually the devil is very weak if you understand his tactics. And the reason is this, that God, in his love and his mercy, sent Jesus to effectively deal a fatal blow to the devil on the cross. Because on the cross, Jesus took all our sin all our shame, all our chocolate eating, all our internet pornography, all our anger, all our whatever it is on himself and he died for us so that we could be forgiven and set free. So even when we slip on the odd occasion, 
There is no condemnation. Romans 8, chapter 1 says there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. When the devil says, you horrible, useless person, he's lying. It's not true. And so we can reject it. And so once we know the devil's tactics, we can say, no, I'm, I'm a follower of Jesus. And in Jesus, I have the power that defeated the devil on the cross. And so... When I see that biscuit with chocolate flakes in it, I know that's the deception. And when I see that pop-up window on the computer screen, I know that's the deception. And I can rebuke the devil and choose to go God's way. And God is in the business of turning around lives. We've heard that in Grant's life. And he's in the business of turning around all our lives. And so if we can be aware of the devil, but not overly interested in him, then we can start winning victories with these areas of our lives that we know are wrong and we know we can become the people God always wanted us to be. Now, that's that's it in a nutshell, but it's not necessarily easy to do that. So what I'm going to suggest is this, is that if there are some things that you would like some help with, prayer with, then after the service, when people have gone to coffee and all the rest of it, the, the, the prayer ministry team will be over here by that candle over there. And if you would like someone to pray with you, to help, to help you kick off breaking something that has a hold on your life that you would like to get rid of once and for all, then they would love to pray with you. They'd love to do that. And that could be a great first start in a turnaround in a particular area of your life. God has the victory. That's the good news. Amen.